Hi, I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about weakened Navy, vulnerable America. General Jerry Boykin joins us to talk about the Flag Officers for America letter and Kamala and her border balderdash. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. We'll be talking in just a few moments with Lieutenant General Boykin, who is one of the uh, signatories to that uh, Flag Officers for America letter, which we talked about a few days ago on the show. I want to open the show in the first five today just talking about what kind of attention the military, current military leaders are trying to bring to the, their budgets and to the emphasis put on the military by the current leaders uh, in Washington. For starters, there was a June memo from Secretary of the Navy Tom Harker written to other Navy leaders essentially saying, we cannot even afford to simultaneously develop the next generation of air, surface, and subsurface platforms, including the program to build a sea-launched nuclear cruise missile. However, the budget in Washington is adding money to programs in the Navy to boost diversity, equity, and inclusion. And there are numerous warning statements in this one piece I'm reading from, from other Navy leaders is basically saying they're concerned that service is becoming weak. The Navy itself is becoming weak. One more statement from the Association of the United States Navy, ASUM, Executive Director, uh, excuse me, Director Jason Beersley said, we worry that over time, the new priorities will erode morale and readiness. And one other extremely bizarre story, and I actually double checked to be sure it was true, but in this era in which social justice warrior, critical race theory, all sorts of just um, psychological experiment type thinking has invaded the military, infested itself in the military, the uh, Nellis Air Force Base in Nevada, Nellis Air Force Base in Nevada, where primary training is done for the Air Force, they had their first recent drag show like men dressed in drag, drag show on base in order, say they, the statement from the Nellis Air Force Base, to boost morale and promote inclusivity and diversity. Honestly, if I'd heard that even a year ago, I would think it was a Saturday Night Live routine or some, you know, Babylon B routine. But it's actually something that happened. Nellis Air Force Base brings on a drag show um, to promote diversity and inclusion. And the last story, I'll remind you, our first five, we talked about it already quite a bit, but had to do with a gentleman, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Matthew Lohmeyer, who was heading up, he was the Space Force commander, and he was removed for having written about the idea he was concerned about Marxism in the military, Marxist ideology invading the military and threatening its readiness, its capacity to defend America. He was removed from that position for having written that. I have not yet contacted him. I believe I, um, he's maybe being a little bit careful where he's making statements right now, but he was removed from his position because of pointing this out. And so what we're turning to in the next segment today is that there was a letter written, and I read portions, uh, great portions of it to you a few days ago, uh, by people who are, they are now retired military. 
they use the term flag officers, which is a certain level, a higher level of military leader, now retired. They, they are writing a letter basically to the American people saying, we're very, very concerned about America. And, and they list more broadly their description, their opening language, our, deep, our nations in deep peril. They describe the peril as between the con a conflict between supporters of socialism and Marxism, or supporters of the constitutional freedom and liberty. And th this was signed by, as I say, flag officers. I'm going to ask them how many they're up to now, signatories. But it's a very public statement by very senior responsible officials that they are concerned about America's, um, not just the military, the military is part of it, but the broader notion of watching what are, is happening with our country in a variety of policy issues coming out of Washington that seem to be springing from a place of Marxism and socialism versus America, the free, the bright, and the grave, and the Constitution. And that we're going to turn to him and talk to him in just a moment. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. So Jerry Boykin is joining us, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. Uh, he's been on the show a few years ago. I can't remember we, what issue we were talking about, but he is a prominent spokesman in conservative circles. I want to give adequate introduction to him. Uh, Lieutenant General Boykin currently is serving as the uh, executive vice president of Family Research Council, which is based in Washington, D.C., and a fabulous organization. Uh, steps out uh, on many issues related to uh, holding on to the nuclear family and more broadly the Judeo-Christian culture in our country. However, he is a very distinguished veteran, and he comes to you, he speaks to us from a place of actual long service for America. He was one of the, and this is an amazing thing, original members of the U.S. Army's Delta Force. You know, just tough guys of tough guys. Um, he also commanded those warriors in combat operations. He commanded the Army's Green Beret as well as the Special Warfare Center and School. All in all, he spent 36 years in the U.S. Army, serving his last four years as Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. He is a warrior extraordinaire, a very committed American, a longtime patriot, and one of the more public spokespersons for this letter we're going to talk with him about today, which was again titled, Flag Officers for America is the Group, and the letter was entitled, Open Letter from Retired Generals and Admirals. So. Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, welcome. Thank you very much. It's good to be with you. Great to see you, sir. Great to see you. Okay, so good to I, see wanna, you. Yeah, I just want to just jump right in your letter and just an overarching point. I have heard people who are kind of left to say, okay, this is one of those things that you know, you have, these are probably more conservative people, ex-military, and they are just unhappy that we have a new administration, the Trump administration is not in, that this is kind of a political message, uh, just kind of uh, taking sides uh, and trying to take a shot at President Biden. Um, I will tell you that I was so impressed with the quality of the letter. And as I said in introducing it, it starts with, our nation is in deep peril. So just overarching. Why did you write this letter? Is it really just a political shot at Biden or is it more? Well, go back to September of uh, 2020. Over 300 uh, generals and admirals, flag officers, signed a petition uh, saying we are concerned about what could happen uh, in a Biden administration. We, we laid out our concerns we all supported uh, Donald Trump in his reelection bid, 
Uh, but we really tried to tell people what to expect if, if, if uh, Joe Biden was was elected, and and everything that we said we were worried about is happening. It is happening right now. So the reason for this letter, uh, which came out I think the end of May, the reason for this letter really was to say this is what we were trying to tell you. This is what we were concerned about. And now that it's here, our concerns have only grown. And uh, so we went into those things uh, that uh, we see as being, uh, taking us down the road to Marxism. And, and, and we are doing our part as retired general officers to at least raise the awareness of what's happening in this country. Absolutely. And you know, I've been commenting on your uh, letter. I've talked about it several times on my show. Uh, there are, are there's a, no shortage of pundits in this country who will weigh in on every issue and and fling out criticisms of the other side on a variety of things. But your letter is so substantive, serious, well written and running through not just uh, name calling, not just saying, oh, he's a socialist, he's a Marxist but running through the things that are happening in Washington. And, and I want to really commend you for using the language in the very beginning, talking about, we're talking about a nation, it's socialism and Marxism, or else you can have America, uh, the supporters of constitutional freedom and liberty. It really helps raise the discussion above policy X versus policy Y, policy X, policy Y too. You know, what, what is the idea of America and what is the, what is the, ideological foundation of this country. So jumping forward, you, you talk about this, that you hit on a bunch of um, issues and I'm, I'm really glad you did because they, they get uh, down into specifics. I do want to ask you, there was a statement by um, Mark Milley, who is uh, currently serving as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, highest ranking, most senior military officer, uh, which he, in which he was referring to the incidents, incidents at the Capitol on January 6th. He said, I want to understand, his house testimony, I want to understand white rage. I'm white. I want to understand it. What caused, uh, so what is it that caused people to assault this building on January 6th? I just want to ask you as a, you know, an observer in Washington, a longtime serious, thoughtful commentator, uh, what was your reaction to what Mark Milley had to say? First of all, uh, I have a great respect for Millie and his uh, years of service, but I, I thought that that uh, response that he gave or speech that he gave in, in the Capitol the other day was uh, theater. He talked about white rage. What is white rage? What is he talking about? I spent 36 and a half years in the Army. I don't, I don't know what white rage is. I never saw that. But then I have to ask the question, what in the heck does the military have to do with the events of the 6th of January? That was not a military operation to go in and breach the Capitol. I'm totally and adamantly against what happened there. So I'm not sympathizing with anybody. But I'm saying, what? you're the, you're the head advisor, you're, you, statutorily, Millie is the senior advisor to the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief on military matters and military readiness. So what the heck does all of this critical race theory and all of these books by people that are extreme communist Marxist, uh, the, the, the books that are he's recommended that uh, his senior officers read, 
What does that have to do with the military? That was not the military that went into the Capitol on the 6th of June. And I don't know what white rage is. So I thought the whole thing was more theater than anything else. I love your answer. I'll also add, it just seemed as though the military, that that incident of his testimony there uh, of the, about January 6th, it seemed to imply that the military is given permission by the Biden administration to get political, to push things. For, because you're right, there's no involvement of the military, no role of the military on January 6th. It kind of signals the direction that the White House appears to be giving the military. And, and to that end, what is your thought about the, in the, I don't know if you were listening in the first five, but I was talking about how the Navy's concerned all of this, this uh, critical race theory and, and all of the kind of social justice warrior teaching is actually hurting mili uh, military readiness. Is it, do you believe that's accurate? Absolutely, Debbie. I know it's accurate. I've had more people in the military, people in the ranks that have come and told me that they are leaving the military. They're leaving the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, Marines. They're leaving because they just can't take it anymore. I had a guy call me from Kuwait, and he said, I'm, he said, as soon as the last soldier is out of Kuwait, I'm coming back and I'm resigning. I'm not going to do this anymore. I had another guy that told me that he had been chosen in his unit to start teaching this inclusion and this diversity. And he said, I just won't do it. Now, what we need to remember is when you come out with something like this, uh, all these training programs that are classroom training programs with, generally speaking, uh, that are dividing uh, people in the military. And, and remember that the most important thing you have in battle is cohesion. It's the, it's the brotherhood among those soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines. But when you, when you separate them into categories based on the color of their skin, uh, you are not going to have that unit cohesion when you go into battle. So it's, it's something that we need to think about. But when you start forcing this on, what you do is you take up valuable training time. That's time they should be using to prepare to win the nation's wars. I mean, there's really only one, one solid mission the military has, and that's to win the nation's wars. Some would say deterrence and of course deterrence, but ultimately it's one thing, it's winning the nation's wars. And this is contributing absolutely nothing to winning the nation's wars. In fact, what it is doing is degrading our readiness to the point that retention of good people in the military and the recruitment of good people for the military are both suffering. Absolutely. Part of critical race theory, uh, which I'm sure you've been reading a lot about, and I have too, is really not just uh, not just talking about siloing people into races and then and pitting them against each other, but there's a, a subtext that is all about identifying America itself as a inherently uh, from its inception racist country. It is a it's it's really a very attack on America's the the culture, the identity of America, the ideological roots of America. And I, that is among the many reasons I find it just almost incomprehensible that that kind of theory could be taught in the military. I mean, this, you, you shouldn't be in the military and you shouldn't be part of the fighting force unless you believe in the idea of America. And so I, I'd love to have you comment on how undermining it is for these soldiers. I, I love your points about it. It, it destroys camaraderie and, and trust and cohesion. 
But isn't it actually undermining the very belief in the idea of America? Yeah, you know, you take an oath uh, in any service, take an oath to the Constitution of the United States. Uh, now, just think about that. What, what do we see? What's the symbol of that Constitution that we see every day, regardless of where we go? And that's the flag of the United States. And now you have, uh, you have people criticizing the flag because it is divisive, because it's controversial. That is Karl Marx pure and simple. Karl Marx said, first of all, he said, my objective is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. He went on to say that uh, religion is the opiate of the masses. But he talked about two groups of people, the bourgeois or the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. And you had to divide people and then create class warfare and bring about anarchy so then the government would have a good excuse to come in and take control and then never release control. That's exactly what Mao Zedong did in 1966 in the Cultural Revolution in China. And uh, what you're seeing now is a division that's not along class lines, it's along racial lines. And that's exactly what this will wind up doing is dividing us and adding fuel to the fire that uh, of these people that want to destroy America, you see it happening on the streets all over. There is no getting around the fact that Antifa and Black Lives Matters are Marxist. And you can say Marxist slash communist because the separation is, is indistinguishable in my mind. One is a political theory, the other one is a form of government. So that's where we're headed right now is Marxism. And by the way, don't forget that in 1958, they wrote a book called The Naked Communist. And The Naked Communist told us how they would take over America and we scoffed at them and we laughed at them. We said that'll never happen. And now if you go back and read that book, it's written by a guy named Skousen. If you read that book, The Naked Communist, you'll see that they've done everything they said they were gonna do. And right now they're in the final stages. I'm so glad you have raised that. I've talked about that, that on the show many times, Klaus Skousen, Skousen and the whole notion of a country taken over without essentially firing a bullet. Destruction mm -hmm. of our institutions, our culture. Okay, so you've been in the military a long time. You served a long time, many capacities. Have you, can you think of any, and you know military history also, American history, is there any time in our history where the military has been, had any similar ideology, anything being taught to our troops and to our military that was so anti-American as what they're now learning? There's and, no history, of, there's no history of anything like that. As a matter of fact, when I came in the army in December of 1970, the Russians were the major threat and, and we, we studied communism only because we wanted to know our enemy. I mean, we were taught communism just so we would know our enemy. And it was very clear that the, these, these communists were, were what we were going to ultimately go up against on the battlefield. And now what we're being taught is communism, Marxism in, in its purest form uh, as a positive. And we're seeing it happening. Uh, we're seeing what they, what they talk about. We're seeing it happen. Uh, in the ranks of our military now, and it is destroying our military. And I'll tell you, four years of, of this, it will take two decades to recover from that. 
Well, that, that's great. Actually, my next question was, so, you know, what do you do as a military person if you're aware of how uh, horrible, devious, detrimental what is occurring in the military, how bad it is, and you're in the military, if you're still serving, uh, beside writing letters to commanding officers or writing letters, I mean, can the military do anything or are they just really, they, they have a chain of command that keeps them, forcing them to go forward with this uh, very divisive and anti-American training? Well, keep in mind that uh, there comes a point uh, in, in the career of a general or flag officer where uh, he's got to make a decision as to whether he can obey the orders of the, uh, the commander-in-chief or the orders of the officers appointed over him. Uh, and, and, and if he can't, and now would be one of those times where I would have to say, I think, I haven't, this hasn't been tested, but I think that right now is a time when I would have to say, I can no longer do this. I'm laying my stars on the table and I'm retiring. I'm leaving. Uh, the younger ranks, they, unless it's an illegal order, which they have not only no obligation to, to follow, but they are prohibited from following an illegal order. Um, they, they are in a different situation than the senior, the, the generals and the admirals. But uh, even that, when their enlistment is up, uh, they, they certainly could leave the military. And that's what you're seeing right now. You're seeing many more of them saying, I'm not going to stay in the military. I want to turn to other things in your letter because there, there are so many great points, but one more thing in the military, you know, I, I, as many as millions of Americans, I love the military. I'm so grateful for every single person willing to serve. I, I mean, and I, I, I'm so proud of our military, but you know, it's a really um, complex thing to think about. If you join the military and, and say you really are a you know, red-blooded, love America, want to stand up and, and preserve America, and you go through the training in the military as, as a young person, and you're being told essentially everything you thought was this country was so great, it's really not so great, that there's systemic racism, which is part of critical race theory teaching, there's institutional racism, the country is rife with it. I mean, destroying the morale in terms of your camaraderie, but just destroying, it seems like it destroys the basic uh, impetus you have to serve. You serve because you want to defend a great country. And if you're being told it's not so great, doesn't it really just, I don't know what right word, destroy that morale, that, that determination to want to stand up and fight? Again, your oath is to the Constitution of the United States. It's, it's essentially your raison d'etre until you get on the battlefield, and then it's all about the man or the woman on your right and left. It, it's about the cohesion there. So, so let's say you're, you're motivated for what reason? You're motivated to serve a country that is systemically racist, that has uh, that brought slaves over here in 1619 and built the nation on the backs of, of these slaves. Come on, that's not a good motive. And it's also a skewed history. So yes, to answer your question, when that's what you start focusing on in these uh, diversity classes and you start telling every young man and woman that's serving this country, that they're serving a country that's evil. Do you really think they're going to be motivated 
to win the nation's wars? No, I don't think so. It doesn't work that way. It's nonsense. But the people that are in charge right now want to destroy our military. And you say, you, you, I know, you look at me and say, what? Why would they want to? It doesn't make sense to us. But if you're a Marxist, it makes sense to you. And that is because ultimately you want a one world government. You want a government that is controlled by something like the United Nations. You want a government that's controlled under a Marxist communist header. And, and the U.S. military may be the only thing that stands in, in the way of you being able to reach that objective. And if you want to change America, you American society, you've got to change the military because that is a bastion of traditional values. Those values are encapsulated in a thing called the Uniform Code of Military Justice. That's the legal system within America where adultery, for example, has always been uh, illegal in the military. You can be court-martialed for that. Wow. Not so in our society. You want to change society? You change the military first. Lieutenant General Boykin, I'm not in the slightest uh, surprised to hear what you're saying. In fact, that was the point I wanted to get to was everything that the, the uh, current administration is doing to the military taking them away from uh, training, what they should be training on and conditioning and strengthening and, and use of weapons and strategy and spending time dividing them into silos according to race and pitting them against each other and making them hate their country. You would never put those policies in place if you wanted to have a strong military that would move forward defending America. They are the things you would do when you want to destroy the military. I'm completely with you. I, I actually think millions of Americans are starting to wake up to this. I think they're, they're, they're finally realizing this isn't just a slight policy difference and some people want to stress diversity more than others. This is destruction of the military. And, and I, I, there is no reason you would do these things unless you had that in mind. But I want to hit a bunch of other things in your letter. Honest to goodness, you had so many great things. You, you start the letter again by saying that our nation, America, in deep peril, uh, conflict between supporters of socialism and Marxism versus uh, supporters of constitutional freedom and liberty. You mentioned open borders as your starting bullet point. I, I have been on this topic so many times, and, and I will again. But tell me, how does the open border uh, point you're making tie to the Marxist agenda? Well, uh, just stop and think about this. Uh, you don't know what's coming across that border. And uh, it, it's more than just a day worker that's coming across that border. So you're, you're bringing in, uh, in many cases, you're bringing in terrorists here. Now, how does that support the, the agenda? It, because it becomes a diversion. It becomes a diversion for our law enforcement as, an, as a so-called nation of laws and you've got uh, federal as well as local law enforcement bogged down with uh, trying to run down the uh, evil elements that are coming across that border there part of which may be the drugs and whatever but it's all part of destroying our society because that means other parts of our society are going to be left unguarded and already this defund police should be an example of, of, of what they're trying to do, is to get us to the point where they can take over the streets of America, where these Antifa and Black Lives Matters and some of these other radical groups can take over the streets of America. Well, 
the border is a huge distraction, not to mention the fact that, and everybody knows this, and, and, and it's sort of the elephant in the room, is that they're building a voter base that will blindly vote for those people today that are hardcore Marxists uh, in our military, I mean, in our Congress, uh, and I and I would say some that are probably uh, in the administration in senior and significant positions. Uh, great answer, and you know, it's an astonishing thing to even think that here we sit in 2021 and we have to have an actual conversation about whether or not we should secure our border, whether whether a, a open border matters or not. It just seems uh, somehow, I mean, I'm, I believe the left has become so overt in their Marxist determination to take down America that maybe some people are waking up and realizing, oh, I, I just kind of thought it was Democrat, Republican, take turns, doesn't matter who's in, you know, it's all the same thing, American playing field. I think the left has gone so far left that we may actually have more people waking up. And I, I want to honor the time limit I gave you on this. I could talk to you for two hours. I know you don't have two hours. And I want to honor the time limit we uh, made because I want to just tell our listeners, You've got to read this letter yourself because it ties many, many top issues facing the country, and, but they're all tied into the Marxist effort that is emerging out of Washington. China, uh, cracking down the First Amendment. These are all issues we talked about in the show, cracking down the First Amendment, reengaging the Iran nuclear deal, Keystone Pipeline, uh, U.S. military, we've been talking about that, uh, the rule of law, which is vanquished, uh, which is only applies if you're a certain um, uh, political stripe. Uh, but I do want to hit the last one. Um, uh, and then ask you about what people can do. So the last one you mentioned is the mental and physical condition of our commander in chief. And I, you know, I will tell you, um, Lieutenant General Boykin, I watched a very senior relative of mine go through dementia. And it is really, um, it's sad and it's, it's alarming and it's, uh, it's very hard to handle. The average American is watching our current uh, commander in chief and recognizing he's not lucid and alert the way you need a commander-in-chief to be. So I, I just comment on you, would, if you would, why is it that any political party would allow someone who's obviously suffering and from some degree of dementia, allow him to remain in power? Where are the people on the left saying, you know what, he, we, we got to move him along? Are they just going to let him continue as he is? What's your sense of what, what, why aren't they doing something? Yeah, for four years, uh, the media and the left uh, criticized Donald Trump for not being fit, not being mentally or emotionally fit for the job as president of the United States. And uh, and now that there are there is, I think, very clear evidence that, uh, that there there is something wrong. And, and uh, I certainly am not a doctor, but uh, I don't have to be to know that there is something wrong. And, you know, it's not just forgetfulness, but that, the bizarre behavior, that whole thing of whispering <laughs> to, yes. I, I mean, come on, that's, it would be funny if it wasn't the most powerful man in the world doing that. And that kind of uh, imbecilic behavior is just, that has to be a concern for people other than just us flag officers that wrote that letter. Everybody sees it. And, and if they're honest with themselves, they have to say, there's something here that's not right. All we're asking is, you, you were concerned about Donald Trump, then, then have the same concern about the current president and, uh, and, and encourage somebody in that administration 
to uh, to get realistic about it and and and, and do something. Yep. I mean, I actually, there was so much talk during the Trump administration about the 25th Amendment and the cabinet officers should be doing something because the 25th Amendment calls for the cabinet officers. And I don't think any of them are likely to lead the charge unless there's some just enormously consequential and, and irrefutable event that occurs. Everyone watching goes, okay, we, we got to give it in here. So, but I'm just amazed actually. It, it's so unserious on the part of leaders of the left. Even if you you know, didn't want to have Donald Trump in office again is so unserious, so um, uh, dangerous to our country to have, I mean, to have someone who's got apparently the keys, the nuclear code has, has the capacity to do, to make decisions of enormous consequence. And you're watching him and you know that he's not together and you can't, you can't bring yourself to take some action. I, I find it astonishing. Okay, so here's my last question, even though I would like to ask you about 25 more. So if someone reads your great letter, which is a great letter, what is it people can do? I mean, besides being aware, which is a great thing, alert to the Marxism that is just you know staring us in the face. As you say, we've gone through the whole list of the naked communist list. What can the American people do to support this letter, to help you, to help the cause? Yeah, a couple of things that I would say you can do. No, number one, if you don't know who your representative, your congressional representative is, find out and write him a letter or send an email to his office. And trust me when I tell you, they, they, they keep track of where people stand in their congressional district. But in that letter, talk to them about what's happening in our military. And talk to them about what you just asked me about the border. Talk to them about your concerns about the border let them hear from you uh the second thing is start a voter drive and make sure you get everybody that feels exactly the same way you do registered to vote and then make sure they get to the polls we've got an election coming up uh in two years well now a year and a half and uh this is a critical election this is maybe more critical than than the 2020 election simply because now we know what we get it's no longer speculation or rumor it's here and we see it so get to the polls and vote and the and the final thing i'll throw this out today as i said here we are working with about 1100 people who have agreed to run for the school board we're helping to train people that are here at the Family Research Council that want to run for school boards all across this country. And if you've not thought about that, this, this may be the place where you can have the greatest impact. Get on the school board, go to school board meetings, because a lot of what we're seeing unfold right now is a, is a result of how we've slept through what was happening in our education system. And uh, if you could just do those things, you can make a difference in this country. Lieutenant General Boykin, I just cannot thank you enough. This is a great to talk with you. And I wanna commend one other thing about your letter. 
I like the clarity. I like the specificity. I like the examples you gave. So it's not just a, a vague allusion to Marxism. But I also like that you're calling it out as Marxism and socialism. I think for a long time, the uh, people on the conservative side, they thought that it was kind of uh, too jarring or you know, too divisive to use words like Marxism and socialism and say, well, you can't really say that. They're on the left. We're on the right. You know, we're all on the American playing field. But we need to recognize, as I, I, I make this point all the time, but like the example of the military, if you want a strong country with a secure border and with a country that has a military capable of defending us, you wouldn't do any of these things. Ask yourself why these policies are in place when you can see they are going to destroy the military. Ask yourself why, if you were the president of the country, you would have policy that literally abandons the southern border if you want to have a sovereign nation. There are no good answers. And to actually call out what we're watching as a Marxist takeover of America, the you know, long march of the institutions has arrived, and here we are today. We've gone through the checklist, the naked communists. I love your willingness to, because I'm sure that was among those who wrote this, a debate of whether or not to call it that versus just to say we disagree with certain policies. But I think it helps people wake up and, and recognize the severity of the situation to uh, use that language. So I just cannot commend you strongly enough. If any last parting thoughts you want to share about your letter, your flag, flag officers for America letter? I will say this as, as sort of a final thought. Uh, it is going to be up to us, the liberty-loving, uh, constitution-supporting people in America, which is a majority, by the way. It's a majority. It's up to us as to which direction this nation takes. And we need to get engaged in what's happening all across this country. And get your head out of the sand and stand up for what's happening in this country. Stand up against the evil that's being perpetrated in our nation today. And we can turn this around. Beautiful parting words. Lieutenant General Boykin, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It's great to talk with you. I want to tell you one other thing, my very fine friends. Um, so this letter, I use the term flag officers. The one, the letter that Jerry Boykin signed, uh, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin signed, is called Flag Officers for America, and, and it's called Open Letter from Retired Generals and Admirals. I, in addition, there is another group that formed. Flag officers are above a certain level. I actually looked it up today. I thought it'd be a simple explanation, but it's not. I'm not gonna go into it. I looked it up. It's a little more complicated depending which branch of the military. But there is another group that formed. These are former military people who are not flag officers. So they're not at that very high level, but they're still officers in the military or just ex-military people who have served in the military. They have written a letter and this, theirs is called Open Letter from Retired U.S. Military. Open Letter from retired U.S. military support and defend. And they have a website, which I will tell you, I believe is supportanddefend.org. I don't have it in front of me, I guess. Anyway, supportanddefend.org. But the gist of it is, after this flag officer's letter went out, and literally you have to know, they got, okay, oh yeah, keep that up there. See at the bottom of the screen, committee to supportanddefend.org. The reason I want you to know about that is, um, so a second letter came out of 
of ex-military people who were not flag officers, but very high-ranking, hard, you know, these are military veterans, you know, gave their lives serving for America, I mean, spent their career serving the country. They've written a similar letter. So you have the flag officers, Jerry Boykin letter, you have a similar letter written for other military veterans, and then there's now a third effort, and this is a letter that even if you never serve in the military your entire life, you never join the military, you can sign a petition here. It's at this website, I'm having Matthew Wonderful put up, committee to support and defend.org. Committee to support and defend.org. Go to that website, hit the petition, and it's basically a one-page petition, and it goes directly to the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, and basically says it's a petition. You sign your name, I think in your email or something, whatever you sign, you, you know, you sign your name. And it, it is a petition going to him. And it's basically saying, please stop playing with the military. Please stop toying with them. Please stop infecting and fusing the military with the critical race theory, social justice stuff. Please stick the military, have the military stick to its role, which is, as Jerry Boykin said, to win wars on behalf of America to be strong, to be, in, to be fit, to be well-armed, to be well-funded, to be able to fight, to win for America. That's the point of the military, not to have social justice conversations, not to discuss drag queens at an Air Force base, not to do, discuss diversity and inclusion. These are tactics being used, Jerry Boykin's exactly right, they're tactics being used to destroy the military. They're not just simply kind of different ideas coming out of the left. You know, we have some ideas, they have some ideas. This is designed to destroy the military. And Lloyd Austin is up there telling Congress it's the greatest idea he ever heard of. He needs to hear from the American citizens. He needs to hear from the citizens. He needs to hear you sign this petition and having your 25 best friends sign it, get everyone to sign on to say, we don't want this in our country. We do not accept it. We will not tolerate. We don't want it in our country. This, my friends, is something you can do. You never even have to leave the comfort of your own home. You sit in your chair and you're on your computer and you go there and you sign the petition. It's really important because I do think, you know, I always talk to you all about how, you know, people tend to hang around people who think like them. And so you have, you know, if you're in the left-wing cabal in Washington and you hang around with the left-wing lobbyists and the left-wing uh, clerks and the left-wing people and staff and the left-wing congressmen and senators, and that's your worldview. You actually think that everybody thinks like the left-wing people that you hang around with. And it happens on the right, too. It happens all over. And it happens on many levels in society. It happens, you know, the, who you hang out with in town. But I'm getting to the point, the military leaders, if you can call them that, they barely deserve to be called that these days, but the military leaders who are inflicting, infecting, destroying our military by pushing critical race theory, social justice warrior, wokeism, inclusion, diversity policies, instead of training our young soldiers how to fight and win, those people live in the bubble of their friends, their leftist elites, their pals. They'll say, oh yeah, yeah, this is a great idea. Yeah, I, I think we should have for diversity and inclusion. We ought to have a drag queen show at an Air Force base. Yeah, you know, look how, look how open-minded we are. This is lunacy, lunacy. They're not two reasonable positions on this 
entire idea of whether or not we ought to be destroying the military by, by having social justice warrior critical race theory training instead of training them how to stay fit, how to stay healthy, how to use their weapons, how to be good at, at what they're supposed to do in their jobs in the military, how to be trained to be active, how to be strong, how to be strategy, everything to do with the military, that's what the military should be learning. And not whether or not the critical, the, uh, critical race theory would approve of them and their friends and how they think, act, and speak. Critical race theory is dividing the military and it's very dangerous for America. Sign that petition and actually what Jerry Boykin also said, very, very true, and, and spread these letters. By the way, both these letters I'm talking about, Jerry Boykin's letter, uh, the one he signed on, uh, that is the flag officers, as well as the letter that is coming from the non-flag officers, but former military, are available on our website, the Support and Defend website, and, and that letter also went to the public, same basic point, we, our country is falling to Marxism. Please wake up. Please understand it. Please see what it is. Do not fall for all this loopy stuff coming out of the left. Stand up and fight. Read both those letters and forward them. Send them to your friends. When Jerry Boykin was talking about write your member of Congress and your senator, put a link to both letters and say in your, in your note, I believe every single thing these letters said. I support these people. You've got to get on top of it. You've got to save this country. Be part of the solution is my point. Be part of the solution. Okay, one last topic today. I'm going to hit uh, Kamala at the border. Okay, I, you know, I just have to say, <sighs> Kamala Harris is not interested in actually securing the border. You have to understand that before we get to discussing her little road trip, you know, like her field trip to the border. The left is not interested in securing the border. They're in, they are trying to have an open border. You have to understand that. Trying. And the reason they're trying, in part, like I just mentioned with Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin in that interview a moment ago, is the idea of having open border is that all sorts of people come in, have no idea what America is about, no idea the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Federalist Papers. They don't know anything. They come here and go, hey, come to America, free housing, free medication, free school, uh, free medical care. Hey, this is great. They come here because they're told we're the land of the free. And they don't mean free as in opportunity to live in freedom. They mean everything is free here. And they're going to vote till time ends for the party that gives them free things. And our country, again, will be yet another step closer to Marxism, another step closer to the destruction of this country. So on to Kamala Harris. Biden, I mean, yeah, Biden gave her the job, I don't even know how many weeks ago, to cover the border. She didn't want to do it. She wanted to make, you know, field trips down to Central America and talk about, you know, root causes and, and pronounce to the world the entire problem with the southern border in America, don't you know, is just because of climate change and institutional racism. She actually said that like over and over, systemic racism, whatever stupid term she used, because she doesn't want to deal with the reality that the border is not enforced because her administration won't enforce it. And the people coming over the border are coming here because America is the land of the abundant and they keep getting get signals from Washington all day long that, hey, come on up, everybody's welcome, come on in, come on in. That's, what they're, that's the signal they're hearing. And so they come here. And they come here as part of the left's plot to destroy America. It is that simple. 
So Kamala wanders down to the border. By the way, I meant to have a map and I didn't. Kamala Harris did come to Texas, I'll give her that much. She came to El Paso, El Paso, Texas, where there is a, not a significant problem. I mean, there is a border there and they do sometimes have border crossing issues. But she went there because she's not gonna be near the cages of children that Biden is using, and she's not going to be near the dangerous parts of the border. She's not gonna be photographed near the cages of children that, that, are, that are far in excess of, what, of the children who were held by the Trump administration. And she's not having a picture taken by the border as you see people coming across the river into Texas and uh, into, the, into the hinterlands never to be found again. No, she went to safe little El Paso, uh, which barely counts for making a border trip. And she had this to say, I sent Matt the wonderfully short clip of what she had to say. Our administration, it is important to be clear, is working to build a fair and a functional and a humane immigration system. We feel very strongly about that. And as you know, we inherited a tough situation. Um, in fact, right here in El Paso was the, 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 the launch of the child separation policy. You saw it as it rolled out on the ground in real time. Um, we have looked at a, a, a system where um, people have been housed in inhumane conditions over the last many years. Um, an asylum system that has been broken and that needs to be reconstructed. And um, in five months, we've made progress, but there's still much more work to be done. But we've made progress. Okay. They've made no progress, unless you count progress toward the Marxist goal of abandoning the border. If you recognize the Marxist goal is abandoning the border, she's right. They made great progress. They don't enforce anything. I mean, it's a complete joke. But she also, you heard in that little clip, they inherited a problem from the Trump administration. And that is a balderdash. You know, I look for nice words. I don't like to say swear words. I'm not going to say the BS word, but it's just hogwash. They inherited a weak border because, I mean, because Trump inherited a weak border because of Obama. Obama happily encouraging Central Americans, come on up, come on up, the, the weather's great, come on to America. So they did. Trump, in his campaign in 2016, called attention to the border. And actually, when he first started doing it, a lot of folks in the media were saying, what's he talking about the border? What's wrong with the border? And the reason people had that question said what's he talking about is because the media never covered it under Obama they're not going to cover the fact that the Obama administration also happily down the Marxist path was happily leaving the border open or not enforcing it sufficiently they weren't doing it Trump gets runs for office kind of shines a light of truth on the border and people go oh my gosh our southern border is porous to say the least unenforceable you know, Trump runs, runs in part on building a wall, which was a great idea in the areas you cannot otherwise secure with people. And during his four-year term, Trump did a great deal in fixing the border problem. Many policies he put in place to essentially stop the caravan flow, stop the massive just pouring forth, and they're not coming here because of systemic racism or climate change. They're coming here because they've come from countries that are corrupt, where they have no opportunity, they have no path forward, and they see America as a land of opportunity. And, or as I say, the land of the free, meaning free healthcare, free housing, free food, free everything. That's why they come here. 
and America can be generous, and America can be good, and America is generous, and they give enormous amount, we give enormous amounts of money and aid to several of those Central American countries because they are countries where there's a great need. The point of this ramble is that the Obama team started this, this avalanche of caravans and people crossing the border because it fits the Marxist agenda. The Trump team came along and said, hey, you know what? We actually need a border. You know, note to America, you aren't a sovereign nation if you don't have a border. And so he said, gotta have a border, gotta have walls. We had, he had many policies in place, including remain in Mexico, you can't come here and you know, turn in your application for asylum and wander freely and then never come back again for your asylum hearing, which is what was happening. Many great policies, Biden comes in day one and drops every single Trump policy that actually secured the border. Dropped them all. Because they don't want a secure border. Once you have that, it's like understanding from our earlier interview with Jerry Boykin, the left does not want to have a strong U.S. military. It's why they are destroying it with their policies. The left does not want a secure southern border. It's why they are abandoning the southern border with their policies. Once you grasp what they do and don't really want, then everything they're doing makes sense. So the question is for the American people. You listening to my show, you people who care about this country, the question is, are you willing to be in the fight, to expose who these people are, that our country is in the middle of a Marxist takeover, and you better get it, and you better tell your friends, because otherwise, we're, it's gonna be over, and we won't ever know what hit us until all of a sudden, all of our freedom is gone. Freedom of speech already being curtailed out of Washington. Freedom of our Second Amendment already threatened in, in many ways and meant much more threat coming down the pike. Freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of communication. We have the social media companies shutting down everything they don't agree with. We're not going to have a country left unless you're in the fight now. And one other quick thing about Kamala, and then I'll go to my why it matters to you. Kamala Harris used language in talking um, about the border policy. And she said, we want one that's fair. She said, fair, functional, and humane. Okay. Define fair. This is what the left always does. Why they say, oh, we have to take over the healthcare system and have socialized medicine to make healthcare fair. Healthcare isn't fair unless we run it. The, uh, the uneven distribution of income or an uneven distribution of wealth happens naturally in a free country. People who will strive, work hard, stay in school, pursue a career, get a job, work hard, those people are better off than the people who decide to stay at home, wait for government, the next government dependency check to come along, sit around, smoke pot, and in all the states where it's legal now, smoke pot, you know, fool around the internet and call themselves productive and wait for the next handout. Yeah, there's a massive income d differential between those groups, and there should be. America should be incentivizing people to work. So back to Kamala Harris, who gets to say what's fair? It is the, the system of our immigration has laws. We have laws about who's entitled to get asylum. And there are standards you have to meet. There are you category, you have to qualify in one of them. You can't just want to come here, and even you can't just want to come here because at home you were poor. That's not a basis for asylum. When she starts talking about fair and functional, she's sending out terms that are sympathetic, sympathetic to their border abandonment mission. 
everyone can make an argument that someone with a poor life, uh, living in poverty some other country, who wants to come to America, wouldn't it be fair? Let, why, why can't America, we have so much wealth, so much abundance, wouldn't it be fairer to let them come here? Fair, fair, fair. I mean, I, I'm picking on just one word she said, but it is an example of she's not doing, they're doing the job that a normal vice president would do if you're put in charge of border security. You're supposed to deal with the border situation, which would mean in a country committed to law and order, you would be down there figuring out how do we secure the border. She's talking about how do we make it fair to the people who want to come here. That's not her job. Her job is to make sure the border is secure. Congress makes the job, passes the laws on the question of whether or not who should come here under what circumstances. This is a Marxist mindset trying to convince people I'm doing something, lying through her teeth when she said we inherited a mess. They inherited a hugely uh, under control, far more under control than it had been under the Obama administration. The Biden team inherited a under control going in the right direction, border wall being built, border being secured situation at the border, and they dropped it all. Because, as I keep trying to tell you, they don't want a border. Once you get that through your head, everything she says and does makes so much more sense. Before I get to tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you, I want to make two quick pitches. One, um, if you have not joined America Can We Talk, please join. Please join. You go to the website, americacanwetalk.org, and on the home page, it says members across the top. You hit that members, and up pops a little page. It says you hit the join button, and for a mere $5 a month, $50 a year, practically nothing, you get to join for a whole year. And what you get for joining is you get to be part of our Thursday members-only shows. We have fabulous guests coming up. Thursday shows are members only. They are go out on our website only on americacanwetalk.org. You can't watch them on YouTube or Facebook or all the other places. They're on our website for members only. And they're great, not just the great shows, but you get to participate in the show. You get to email in questions. You can text in questions. If you're in North Texas, you can be the in-studio audience. But the real reason to join is to help this show continue to grow, to help protect me, give me some ammo to protect against the social media, big tech companies that are working very hard to shut down shows like mine. Please support my show by joining. $50 a year, you can do it, and I can't tell you how much I'd appreciate it. Also, in the same place, americacanwetalk.org, on that homepage, hit subscribe. I do a once a week newsletter comes out on Friday, sometimes Saturday, and it is a newsletter that links to all the past interviews in the previous week, all the show segments, all the blog posts, all the other just, just exciting, good show. I do a great little uh, letter for my listeners every week. All of that, if you get in the newsletter, there's no charge for the newsletter, no charge for the newsletter. I never share the, new the newsletter subscriber list with anyone, just me talking to you once a week. It's a great thing to do. Please subscribe and please join America Can We Talk and be part of our Thursday special member shows. I would love to have you join. And now I'll tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show today. Weakened Navy is a vulnerable in America. Number of operational Navy warships is declining. Recent history of open water collisions suggest training lapses. Wokeism flooding the ranks with confusion. Drag queen hours at Nellis Air Force Base. Seriously, they did that. 
All this presents great danger to America, not just as a matter of operational readiness, but far more important as a matter of motivation and morale. When American troops fight for American ideals, they are formidable, nearly unbeatable. When motivation becomes obscured by moral confusion, they are weakened. The U.S. military remains very formidable in terms of equipment and weapons, but there is urgent work to be done to restore focus and morale. And on Kamala and the border balderdash, Vice President has no plan, had no plans to visit the U.S.-Mexico border until after Trump announced the visit. And then she suddenly thought about that. VP's visit was to El Paso, which is basically about 800 miles from the serious border security problems. The Biden administration is not acting to strengthen border security because they want open borders. The VP's attention to border concerns is feigned. It is fake, and the American people know it. Democrat congressman from Texas keeps calling out the Biden administration policies. This is, uh, this is uh, Representative Quaylar. Knows that open borders are not playing well with his constituents. They're not playing well with anywhere in America. The American awakening is happening faster and more broadly than the deep state can handle. This is good news for the preservation of America. So my very fine friends, as a show tomorrow, I want to remind you Thursday, this is the first time since we started our member shows. No show on Thursday because I have jury duty. I may have a story for you next week. But I'll be back next week to talk with you. Uh, on every, my show is every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. We do have Monday next week. There, we're, it's honoring the July 4th holiday. So Monday, July 5th, the studio's closed, so no show then. Other than that, I will see you Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time on America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can